What's up, everyone? It's Morgan, Kevin, and Drew here. Tonight, we're going to discuss AEW's Wrestle Dream, the results, the winners, the grades, the reaction, the highlights, everything in between. But before we do, Timekeeper, ring the bell. Welcome to the And Still a Wrestling Podcast, your weekly podcast covering the latest in the world of professional wrestling. Thank you for listening in to And Still, a wrestling podcast. Again, alongside myself, Morgan the Casual, as well as Kevin the Oracle and Drew the Authority. We're here. We're going to talk about it. We are coming off of watching a late, staying up late on Sunday night to watch the Wrestle Dream pay per view in honor of Antonio Inoki, who died just over a year ago, the Japanese legacy. Uh, legend in the world of professional wrestling. And we had a lot of debate last week over what we thought about the card. Now we get to actually talk about the card and the results. Mixed reactions going in, I know, from the fellas because the card seemed to be uh, not have as much buildup on some of the matches and others more, but then also centered around the superstar Adam Cole suffering an ankle injury, which prevented him from being a part of the show. But it still had a ton of surprises, and honestly, guys, I'm going to kick it off by saying, overall, I think Tony Khan has yet done it again. I mean, at the end of the day, he has a roster of professional wrestlers that know what they're doing, that are doing it at a high level. Yes, the promotion could be better, but from me, even guys that I never even knew, like Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr., I had no idea going into this anything about Sabre Jr. And I left thinking, wow, what an amazing, amazing match. And actually left a couple of matches feeling that way. And then at the very end, which we will discuss, was just icing on the cake for the night. Honestly, overall, fellas, I won't give a grade because I guess we'll wait till we get later on into the show. But just initial reaction post-show I left satisfied. We'll start around the horn as we always do with Kevin, the Oracle. Kevin, did you feel satisfied? Boy, howdy. Five and a half hours of professional wrestling on a Sunday. I'm exhausted, but yes, I enjoyed. Man, we got to stop doing that. The It's like, I love these shows. I really do. But it's like going all the way to midnight. And after you've been there all, you know, for like you said, five hours and it's just like, Whew, like I'm getting old. It's like staying up till midnight's hard. Yeah, yeah Tony, God, some of us have to get up and go to work in the morning. I guess he forgot about that. Maybe he doesn't care about us regular guys who have to clock in on Monday. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I don't know if I would have made it through that if I had to work today. Yeah, I mean, with the kickoff starting at 630 and them going to matches at 7 o'clock and going right until 1159, I get it. You got a lot of people on the roster and everybody's trying to get a paycheck, but I also saw some issues when you have that many matches for that long a time, you start seeing a lot of repetitive moves. And we'll talk about that as we get into this episode. 
Now, fellas, did you want to go in and start with the zero hour part? They had a ton of matches in the zero hour. I'm going to go ahead and admit I did not tune in for the zero hour. As you guys know, I'm a football fan first. So when it came to me, I was uh, on Taylor Swift watch. So I was waiting up trying to see what she would do with the Kansas City Chiefs and Travis Kelsey. No, I'm just kidding. I did I did have it on the sideline. I was working late on Monday or on, excuse me, on Sunday. I was trying to make up, get ready for Monday. But I did have it on my phone watching it as I go. But I didn't get the pre-show and the zero hour. A uh, couple of matches out there, including Luchasaurus and uh, Claudio Casanoli, the acclaimed with Daddy Ass. Uh, any of those matches... Were, were any of you guys able to watch those matches? Anything stick out before we get into the, the main card? Dude, yes, I, I, saw it. I missed the first two. It's like I came yeah. in with Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne. Yeah, I saw it all, and I will say that I was disappointed in the Claudio-Josh Barnett match. Uh, I was more disappointed with the appearance of Josh Barnett. I get it. He's an older guy. Um, but I just, as they presented him, I expected it to be more of a challenge to Claudio, and it wasn't. And I was really looking forward to that match. I was surprised to see it on the pre-show. The delivery, the story that they told. Um, I get Josh Barnett's older. He doesn't wrestle regularly anymore. But I was disappointed, unfortunately. And I know that they're going to run it back in Bloodsport, which is Josh Barnett's federation. So maybe I'll watch it there. But um, I was really looking forward to that. And like I said, it was a bit of a letdown for me. I thought the big takeaway from that match I heard was the whole thing with Mox on um, commentary was well, that started it. Yes. Yeah. So he, they were more interested in that. Yeah. He, uh, he started with the whole swear jar at that point, dropped uh, a couple of mild curse words. It wasn't terrible, but that kind of kicked off the night and set the tone for the next two matches he was going to call, or was it three matches, two matches. Yep. I thought that was fun. It was a different twist. I mean, the guy can't work right now because he's under the concussion protocol, but you got him out there. He's earning his paycheck and he's adding a little bit of different color to a uh, standard three person panel. So it was fun for what it was worth. I That's thought the best way to describe the matches I saw. I mean, I saw the Luchasaurus versus Nick Wayne and that was just a squash and then the acclaim fighting TMDK. And I mean, they were good for what they were. There was nothing special or memorable out there. They right. were just out there to get those guys out there, you know, give them a good show, get the crowd warmed up and call it a day. Yeah. I, I don't know how I felt about all of this with Antonio Inoki's grandchildren being out there and why Shibata was there. I get it. He's New Japan. But there were other guys on the card that were, quote unquote, New Japan. Uh, in fact, we saw... Um, Oh, what's the guy's name? Hiroki, not Goto. Um, there was a guy from New Japan that opened the show in the in the eight-man schmoz that, that happened. Um, I just thought it was kind of odd. And not only that, somebody t- needs to tell Tony to not scream into the microphone all the time. It's a very rookie move for anybody to grab a mic and just scream into it. We can hear you. You're on a microphone. So, yeah, Tony, note to uh, production, you don't need to scream. So. Hmm. I think that um, I, I would probably do that as well. He seems like a very intense person, at least when it comes to his AEW work and running the show there. I remember when he came out on the stage when we were there, it just seemed like, again, just very intense, very like, you know, al- almost kind of, I would say it's as real to him as as it is real to Eddie Kingston. Tony Khan seems to really take it very, very seriously. Yeah, well, it came off at wrestling at the local brewery on a Saturday night, in my opinion. Every time Ooh. Tony Khan yells, all I hear is Bernie Sanders. 
Something <laughs> about the voice. I, they're almost just too similar. That's, that's right, a good Philly. parallel you drew there. That's pretty good. I never really heard that, but now every yeah, time yeah, I hear Tony Khan, all I'm going to hear is Bernie Sanders. Good job. Good job. So let's get into the start of the night. And uh, I was able to get into this one and, and see it up front because I had never seen The Righteous, the Ring of Honor tag team title match between MJF, no Adam Cole. It was a handicap match against The Righteous. You guys told me that they were, you know, new to you as well. Uh, as you remember, MJF comes down. He cuts a quick promo talking about he wasn't the one responsible for for attacking Jay White on collision previously. Do you believe that? First of all, let me just say, Morgan, hopefully you won't have to see him again either. Um, it was a bad match. The fact that he had his head up the guy's ass for about 30 seconds while MJF pandered to the crowd was just terrible. Again, don't don't insult my intelligence. Entertain me. Take me out of the moment. Let me suspend disbelief. But at the 30-second mark when the guy's head is still up the other guy's ass because that's what he said he was going to do. Uh, it was a bad match. And the fact that MJF is your heavyweight champ playing a comedic role, opening up the pay-per-view in a handicap match against two people that mean nothing, I wasn't happy with the way the show kicked off. For me, it was, you know, it was like I had a laugh with the fact that like the first thing that came out of my mouth when I saw The Righteous was I looked over to Kevin and said, who is the righteous and why do they look like two failed clones of Bray Wyatt? Because I'm sorry, if you take a look at what the righteous look like, that's all I saw was two wow. failed attempts to clone Bray Wyatt. You know what though, but was Bray Wyatt original? I can't say who was original. There's been other people in this whole cult leader kind of thing. Look at Kevin Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan did the cult leader for years. I think it's just, you're seeing Bray Wyatt because that's probably the most, uh, the most uh, closest memory you have of that character, but there's been many different cult figures in professional yeah, I was wrestling. Just saying, like, historically, appearance-wise, they both look like you know they tried to look like Bray Wyatt at some point in Bray Wyatt's multiple changing in career and stuff. Well, one guy looks like Rob Zombie, and the other guy looks like he's trying to sell you a car at the dealership down the street. But. I mean, we're, it's like, I guess we're in the middle of what I can only describe as the MJF work rate era, where he's working really strangely more matches now, which I think is part of the gimmick of what they're leading up yes. to with him and Adam Cole um, for the most part. But again, like you said, this match is what it is. It was, a, you know, just a display of... Um, it's like MGF trying to hold his own against two guys. We'll probably never hear of the righteous again. That's probably the extent of their push. And we'll move on to whatever the next thing is with them. It's like, let's break, let's break that down for a minute. And I know drew and you and I have talked about this because you were over last night watching the pay-per-view, but I think that this whole Adam Cole thing is an angle. And I don't think Adam Cole is legit hurt. And I know again, we discussed, but the fact that they're working MJF so much that he's getting beat down he's getting tired so on and so forth the fact that you're going to have a match with the righteous who's no one ever heard of before that's a believable team that you can go a handicap match against you couldn't announce FTR you couldn't announce Aussie Open you couldn't announce the guns or whatever a, a quality name to put into that match only to know that you're not going to get there with both guys because you're booking it that way so it makes sense to me that this is all an angle and Adam Cole is not hurt. 
that's where I think we're going with this. Believable. And that would explain, yep, and that would explain why he's going on early and he's doing these handicap matches. I just hope that the payoff comes. Um, but you know, let's run the show back in, in three months and see if I was right. So all right. He has made his prediction. The Oracle has spoken. Adam Cole possibly not really injured part of the show, part of the angle. I'm I'm curious to get into more of that. So I know that um obviously it allows MJF to be in these handicap matches and, and in these matches where he's at least this one was his I'm your scumbag gimmick that was really just more sports entertainment and, and for laughs than it was what you saw with Danielson and Sabre Jr. So complete opposite to start the show. I do feel like that, you know, is it not setting up perfectly for an even bigger payoff against Jay White or uh, as MJF would call him, Tofu? That was brought up. Yeah, Morgan, let me ask you, are you one of MJF's pores? Am I one of MG, MJF's what? Pores, P-O-O-R-S. Pores? What does that mean? Do I like him? So that No, that's a gimmick. He calls the fans his pores, meaning we're poor and he's rich. Oh, okay. Or um, I <laughs> yeah, you could be a devil worshiper. Yeah, is Morgan going down the route of devil worshiper now? Yeah. <laughs> I Actually, mean, I will I, say I saw a fantastic t-shirt. It was a kangaroo with an MJF scarf on. Fantastic. I thought it was an excellent shirt. Yeah, I think that's good. I was going to mention that too. You know, you want to, Kevin, you you don't like something that's not going to be, you don't like something that's going to be a funny match. You know, you that's not really for you. So I can understand why you did, wouldn't like this match. But I mean, my goodness, the guy is the, in the I'm your scumbag gimmick. I mean, he's doing the, the kangaroo kick. You know, that is, you you don't see that kind of stuff from a heavyweight champion. And uh, I, I can understand from your point of view, it, it feels weird. Oh, I was, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was yeah. just saying, like, you're, you're worried about the kangaroo kick. I was like, I watched MJF squeeze a man's balls for a solid minute. <laughs> Come on, five on two. That was fantastic. <laughs> five fingers on two balls. That was good. Yeah, I think we spent enough time on this. Again, I think this is all an angle, and that was a blow-off match, and it was set up to be that way from the beginning. That's why we got essentially a no-name tag team to go up against them. So moving right, on. Final final grade here. Give me a grade like you're like you're a school teacher since uh, all of our wives are school teachers. So so give me a grade real quick. Hey, C. kayfabe, brother. Kayfabe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a solid D in my opinion. Ooh. Ouch. All right. Yeah, that's not that's not a passing grade. Drew? I said C. Solid C. It, it's mm. average. C's get degrees. What's the deal? Solid C. What you both guys went solid. What's a not solid grade? Well, that would be a C plus or a C minus, right? Are you gonna say are you gonna say a, a loose C? I'm I'm saying down the middle, just right not a C plus, not a C minus, just right there in okay. the middle C. So if you it's, say a B plus, you can't so you can't say solid B plus? No, it, it's it was passable. <laughs> passable it, B. Okay, passable yeah. C. So you can say passable, you can say solid, but you can't say like solid C minus. Sure, solid C minus. It's like <laughs> I, I don't know, man. I'll give it solid C plus. <laughs> uh, maybe we should uh, rethink our grading scale here. All right, so we have a grading scale. We're yeah, we do, trying, now. we do now. We do now. 
Eddie Kingston versus Katsuyori Shibata. Ring of Honor World and New Japan Open Weight titles were on the line. And, um, you know, obviously a crowd favorite in Kingston retains his titles. Both titles were on the line, by the way, with uh, his signature power bomb. Fellas, around the around the circle here, we'll start with Drew. Just thoughts on that match. You know, I'm just a me thing, but like I enjoy any opportunity I get to see Shibata wrestle. I enjoy watching him. It's like Eddie Kingston's uh, fairly entertaining, but this is this is one of those matches where like you know I would have given Shibata the fair benefit of the doubt that maybe he could win this match except for the fact that he already is the Ring of Honor Pure Champion, which let me know that this title's not in line. I was like, ah, he's not winning here. But it's a match between two guys who highly respected each other and did their best to absolutely put each other over into the, you know, the best light. I thought they gave a great match. Kevin? Let me first say that the promo with Shibata holding up the phone and having Siri say his promo for him was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. So uh, I got to see my Oricon. In fact, I think I saw four of them during the match. But however, this will be the first number one match that had the Cobra Twist, also known as the uh, Abdominable Stretch. I think we're going to see it a total of five times tonight. This is the first match they did this move in. Uh, I enjoyed this match. It was stiff. It's just how I like to see it. Um, they tied back to the fact that uh, had this been a pure match, Eddie Kingston would have exceeded his rope breaks and would have forfeited the match to Shibata. But since it wasn't a pure match, I think they they grounded us on that for Ring of Honor, which I think we could see them run it back under a pure rules match for Shibata's belt at that point. Uh, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I finished, I believe the finish was a, an Oricon from Eddie and then a powerbomb, which put out Shibata. And then even Eddie in winning stepped aside and let Shibata shine in the ring by playing his music and bowing to him and exiting before Shibata, which is just a class move in my opinion. And again, all respect to those guys. Fantastic match. This was uh, this was a B plus in my opinion. Yeah. I think that, you know, based on the way you're talking about it, it seems like that both these guys respect the world of professional wrestling, the industry, the history and the traditions there. Now, tell me more about this pure champion, pure, pure uh, ring break, rope break kind of thing. Where are you going with that? Since is are you saying that um, Kingston actually couldn't have beaten or won that that belt? Yeah, the Ring so, of Honor pure belt runs on a different set of rules. Then that's what what makes it unique. Kevin, you got a better explanation of how what the rules are. So the the two major things is there are three um, judges. So that if it goes the distance, it's decided by the judges. You only have two rope breaks throughout the whole match. So in other words, if you're going for your second rope break, you don't have another rope break. If you go for a rope break, you forfeit the match to that other person. So it's a different way of telling a professional wrestling story. It makes it, quote unquote, a little more real. And it's interesting. And Shibata is your Ring of Honor pure champion. Uh, in the past, we had Wheeler Yuta, who is a pure champion. And again, it's more of a catch is catch can style. So think Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson kind of match, counter for counter. You're not using the ring ropes to break a move, break a hold, so on and so forth. So it makes for a more interesting match, a more believable match, if you will. Yeah, I would say walking away from that match, it felt like they were selling everything exactly the way that you should. As Kevin's mentioned many times, they weren't uh, pretending like you know, they weren't insulting our intelligence, right? They weren't overdoing it. Everything looked 
exactly the way it should. I mean, really, Snug. to be honest with you, Kingston is not that guy that you would say, wow, he's, you know, he's, he's not the, doesn't have the body of Kenny Omega, but he just knows how to wrestle. Yeah. You know, if you could imagine watching a video of just the two men, nothing in the background, no audio, no music, just the two men in the ring, you would have believed that could have been a real UFC style fight. Everything was snug. No one missed their spots. No one half sold it. It was a very good, believable match. And I enjoyed that. Yeah, I was going to uh, agree with um, what Kevin said. That match, I, that would have rated the same, B+. It's like, you know, when you got Shibata and Kingston together, who genuinely, you know, like each other, it's like, and love the business, you know, you get great results like this. It was fantastic match, enjoyable match. And I would honestly, at this point, like to see more from both, especially like Shibata, because I really feel like we just don't utilize him as much um in ring of honor yeah all right he, next uh, up. he's definitely i think we're gonna see him more and more now but like i said he left AE, uh, he left uh, ring of honor so i think aew's got him if not to a full signed contract at least we're gonna see him more often great oh that's pretty cool yeah i think that some of these guys really work really well with AEW, I like to see more of them. I'd really like to get more backstory around them. And really, it's kind of on me, I'm sure, to go watch some of their New Japan uh, matches that they've had in the past to get a little bit more acquainted with who they are. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more matches for sure. All right, so next up was Chris Statlander, the TBS champion, versus Julia Hart. And this was one pre-going uh, into it. The week before on the podcast, I thought, you know, not really the best match. I really haven't seen much of Julia Hart. She's not the most believable person just because of how just tiny she is compared to Chris Statlander. I didn't think it was a good matchup. But actually, overall, I think that she did have a pretty decent match. I think that she was able to kind of hold her own, show some good defense. She had a couple of moves here and there. You know, I I can't beat her up too bad over this match i think she held her own against uh, the champion i didn't think she had a chance to win at all so that believable part uh kind of hurt but i liked her entrance and um you know i didn't think it was a bad match at all no i would agree this was better than expected uh julia hart has come a long way she's doing very well at such a young age i believe she's only 21 i think having her gymnastic quote uh cheerleading background is helping her I think she has a fantastic moonsault. It's very tight. And what I mean by that is she doesn't have to use half the ring to get her body rotated. She does it within two or three feet of the corner, uh, uh, ring corner, which I think is it, it's more spectacular because it's not so much of a catapult. She's actually flipping in the air, and it looks much better in my opinion. Um, this was the second match that we saw the Cobra Twist slash um, abdominal stretch. So now we've got three matches in, and we've seen this move twice. We're going to see it, I think, three more times multiple times in one match. But overall, I thought this match was good. Uh, I thought her missing the mist um, by having Statlander push her back and have her almost choking on the mist was a good spot. Um, but yes, we never believed that Julia Hart was going to go over here. And it was what it was. I thought it was I thought it was a good B match. I really did. Uh, I was going to give this one a B plus too because it, it exceeded my expectations. Yeah, dude, like that was two things that he covered there. Number one, Julia Hart's entrance, like the House of Black, fantastic. I, I dig the intros. I'm enjoying that. The other thing, like I said, I thought that was a good spot they had 
where Julia Hart is going for the mist and like uh, Statlander just turns around and slaps her across the face, knocking the mist out of her mouth. It's like, you know, thus deflecting it. I love that spot. I really did. But yes, this match exceeded my expectations. I thought this would be the one where it's like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, if, if everyone's going to use the bathroom break, but they weren't the bathroom break. This was, this was a good match and they both, you know, should be commended for putting on a really, really good match. Yep. And I think and, leading into it, you know, when I look back at some of the videos of her and Sky Blue, um, I felt like, you know, when you look at it, she's kind of building her way back up, you know, into something more than just a, a nice to have on the side of House Black there, you know, as as a ring manager. Um, she's kind of made a, a name for herself now with this match as somebody who should be taken seriously on the women's side of things. Um, you know, I'm still think she's a very, very far away from actually having a belt by any means, but, um, definitely someone who could be in the mix and put on a good match and has obviously put in the work. So, you know, you guys both give a, a solid grade, better grade than uh, a, a men's match, which again, going into this, we thought it would be the worst match of the night and it definitely outperformed. Quick question for Kevin. It's like, count me if I'm wrong on this one, but you said like this is the third match where they use like some form of the abdominal stretch. That's a uh, nod to Anoki, isn't it? Yeah, but dude, they did it five times in how many matches? Uh, yeah, thirteen matches, twelve matches. Well, well, they did it. They did it multiple times in, in one match. But we are three matches into the pay per view, and they've done the abdominal stretch Cobra twist on two of the matches. And again, I think this is just a peril of having so much professional wrestling on that you're going to see moves get prostituted, like the Blue Thunder Bomb. I think we might have seen a Blue Thunder Bomb in just about all the matches, except for maybe two. So again, with having this many matches, and I, I we all know that there are multiple agents. So if you're going over the match with, with Morgan is my agent and the guy next to you is going through his match as withdrew as an agent. You, if you're not speaking to each other and saying, Oh, we're going to use this spot. You're going to have people in five matches out of drew uh, Morgan. How many matches were they total on the pay-per-view? Oh, um, I mean, 12. Okay. I guess. Give or take that. That's, is that counting the pre-show or no? One of no, not counting the pre-show. Okay. There were four in the pre-show. Okay, so let's let's say five out of eleven or twelve matches had the same move being used in in the Kenny Omega match. They used it multiple times, and they even built it even further where they had four guys pulling on each other. It was just a bit much. So again, I don't want to harp on it. Overall, this was a very good pay per view. But when you go five and a half hours of professional wrestling, the moves start to look the same. So, well, what about the? I you know, it's it, I'm missing the name of it right now, but the one where it was Penta and Orange Cassidy and they were just kind of going back and forth with the same Canadian move over destroyer, the yes. Canadian destroyer. Yeah. 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 So you, you didn't like that either. I'm assuming. I don't think anybody really liked that. Talk about prostituting <laughs> a move. I think they hit six of them all together that night. If I'm not mistaken. It was just bad. I get it. It's a spot, but it, you know, Petey Williams should get a, a royalty every time that match is that move is performed. He's the one that came up with it. And he, he's he's not even relevant anymore. He's obscurity in professional wrestling history. But Petey Williams introduced that. That's why he got to name it the Canadian Destroyer. Petey Williams was from Canada. So good move. It's just everybody does it now. And some people do it really believable. Some people do it terribly. 
side note, Morgan, if you've never really focused and seen clips of Petey Williams hitting the Canadian Destroyer, you've never really seen a really good Canadian Destroyer. Because when Petey Williams did it, he did it in such a fashion, you had no idea what just went on. Like, it was all so quick when he nailed it. Yeah, I remember the first time seeing it. I'm like, what did I, I don't understand what I just saw. Like, how does that work? Physically, yeah. this shouldn't work, like, physics-wise. And then you realize it's just, it's just basically two guys doing flips. But it looks really, really good. So, <laughs> Well, I'm looking at it right now, just trying to see from a clip from Impact Wrestling on YouTube. Yeah, when um, he hits it, you're just like, what just happened? This guy is kind of, uh, he's very athletic. Um, shorter guy, it looks like. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get to it. Yeah, oh, okay. Here we go. All right. So, yeah, he definitely. He, well, this one, he definitely oversold it. <laughs> he he throws himself almost into the third row in the stands after in, in the crowd after that. Uh, I don't know if that one was so. a good one to watch. <laughs> yeah, he's your originator. So that's where the move. That's where the move came from. So, what was the next? He was match? the originator of letting it have letting it happen to himself. <laughs> no, no, he invented the move. That's right. probably it was back in the TNA days, so before Impact. Right. Well, I will tell you this, Kevin. I'm watching Julia Hart's Moonsault. Many people on social media talk about how pretty it was. The whole crowd popped over it as well. Yeah, it's just again, she does it a little bit differently than other people do. Most people just do a typical backflip. She's almost doing a shooting star press. It's so tight against the ropes, and it makes it look better, in my opinion. Plus, she's a small girl, so it looks even better. Compact. She is definitely very flexible and can get around and it like like it's almost as she's a little bit suspended in the air, just the way she's uh, smoothly, you know, throwing her legs over. So definitely well done, as you mentioned, with her background in in gymnastics and and cheerleading. She obviously knows what she's doing and can uh, can hit those moves better than than others. So great match for those two ladies, Uh, obviously. But let's let's be clear, Morgan. She's not CJ Perry flexible. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, to, I had to tee you up for that one. Of, of, course. of course you did. This is not a show unless you actually say something about that. So, um, all right. So next up was the uh, many, <laughs> the many faces of the AEW tag team title championship uh, battle here. You know, I don't even think they had enough to put it on the, the, uh, <laughs> the card, the, the social the, media the, post. Yeah, I don't even think yeah. they had enough space. So what happened here was they hit the crazy button. Everybody just went nuts for about 12 minutes. And then the Young Bucks won. (laughs) That's really what happened here. So interesting point. They faked an injury with Ray Phoenix to take him out of this match to save him for Wednesday night against, um, was it Nick Jackson? Because he's going to go one-on-one and Ray is legit banged up. So they, they faked an injury early on to take him out so that he didn't have to put his body through the rigors. Uh, and they came out today. There was a few injuries last night. We'll get to them as the matches come up. But the Ray Phoenix injury was a work to get him out of that match to save him for Wednesday night. They're expecting the Wednesday night match to be five stars. So we'll see. But yeah, this match wasn't memorable in my opinion. There were a few uh, repetitive spots. Uh, it's basically super kick, schmoz, super kick, schmoz, slap your leg, super kick, go home. That was basically the match. <laughs> well, you know, whenever you get the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros together, that's basically what you're going to get. So I hopefully you weren't disappointed because you should have been ready for that. 
Yes, it's what you expect. So uh, I won't linger too long because, again, it really wasn't all that memorable. It was another uh, Lucha Bro versus uh, Young Bucks with a couple other guys thrown in match. I'll give it a C. <laughs> right. I'll give it a C. Give it a C. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say B minus. It's like you know, you know, you know how it works. The the Bucks and the Lucha Brothers go in there. They hit all the spots. Cassidy's in there, you know, with Hook just to provide some sort of difference, you know, of like styles in there. Although I've noticed, like Orange Cassidy's like whole sloth, you know, style is slowly fading out as he's trying to become more and more like of a legitimate wrestler hook still just hook you know using his borderline shoot mma fought, you know holds and fightings oh and the highlight of it of course to me it's like the bet we mentioned all these spots but the best spot in there the guns trying to pin each other to win the match oh yeah that was pretty dumb Bravo to them. <laughs> i haven't I seen that kevin in years and I, I appreciated it yeah. i bet kevin like threw his glass across the the room when he's like oh, come he on good. you're insulting my intelligence here no, it makes sense because you have all these matches. And again, we've seen this before. This is not new, but it's been years since I've seen it. And when Colton went to pin Austin, it, I popped. It was like, oh, this is fantastic. And the referee's <laughs> like, no, you can't do this. But I'm like, logically, why can't you? And again, don't apply logic to an illogical sport. So Indeed. shame on me. Shame on me. So that match happened. I gave it a C. Moving on. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, I mean, I, I did think it was pretty funny. I, you know, I, I like the match. This is one that I kind of, I was putting down the laptop and starting to watch a little bit more detailed. I thought it was uh, a good one, you know, just, just from, I mean, it's the wrestlers that you want to see in a, you know, in a card where a lot of the guys were out hurt. So you had yeah. to put some of your bigger names in there. It is kind of funny that they just kind of throw them all together in the same uh match but it, it it always works to me like i said it if they did it they do it a little bit too much and it kind of gets repetitive and they do the same moves over and over but you know to me it's kind of just that's what aew is the young bucks and lucha bros i want to see them fight each other just because i feel like they've built up a good history between each other just within aew sure and yeah, and I think this is the the first match that I incorrectly predicted. I don't think I chose the Young Bucks here because I didn't expect the Young Bucks to face whomever was going to win FTR versus Aussie Open. And we'll get to that in just a moment. So, yeah, I think I was wrong on this prediction. This is a match that I was actually praying for a, a, uh, a win by Swerve Strickland here. I just – coming in, I thought I need him to win this. He cannot continue to lose – Every single thing that I see him on television, he comes out with Prince Nana and, and you know, the crowd's into it. They're dancing. It's a great time. But when it gets to the wrestling, I felt like it was a great match between the two guys. Hangman Page is going to give you, you know, his different set. Um, you know, it's much different than the other elite guys, but he's still a good wrestler out there. Swerve Strickland is a guy who I feel like is very, very valuable as a a guy who should have a belt eventually. He's definitely valuable there for AEW. And it uh, seems like the crowd, you know, likes both these guys, and it was they were into it. I felt like at times that Swerve Strickland could lose the match. And so it, it had that believableness to me that the guy that I wanted to win couldn't might not be able to win it. And uh, when he did win it, ultimately, um, you know, even though he's not supposed to be likable, He's a heel. 
um, it seems like he still controls the crowd out there. And, um, you know, people want to see him successful, even though he's a heel. So first off, I don't ever want to see Drew dance again. Like he was just dancing when you mentioned <laughs> Prince Nana. That is burned into my brain and I will never be able to unsee that. Yeah. You know what? Seattle was a little bit of a bizarre world last night, kind of like a match in Canada or a match in New York. Even though Swerve is a heel everywhere else, he was a face last night. And they did a really good job, both the guys, Hangman and um, um, Swerve, uh, adapting to the role of face and heel and, and kind of doing a double switch. I enjoyed it a lot. As the match went on, you were seeing uh, uh, Hangman get booed and Swerve was cheering and the guys played into that. I think breaking down the body part and breaking down the arm that he throws the buckshot lariat with was fantastic. I believe Swerve beat him with his whatever version of the Death Valley driver he has, and it would look really, really good. Um, I thought this was a very good match. It was better than I expected, and I also believe that I predict this one as well. This was a solid B. I give this one an A. This was, you know, Hangman was a great opponent to put up against uh, Swerve. This was a great match if they can capitalize on it to really elevate Swerve. This was his showcase match. This is where you really got to see him you know, and see how talented this guy really is. And I think he has incredible potential for this company. And there are, it's like, it's one of those things I thought about it. Like, I'd like to see them put a title on him, but at the same time, I don't know which title is, you know, something that they want to devote time to for him. So at this point, I say just keep letting Swerve get the wins and building him as a credible threat. Because that's what he looked like against uh, Hangman. He looked like yeah. a guy that can go in the ring and produce great matches and is a legitimate threat for either, you know, international TNT or the, even the AEW World Champion if necessary. How would you like to see a match between Swerve Strickland and Adam Copeland? Probably be fun. I think they're very similar builds, and I think they could both go and carry a really good match. At this point, I- I'm almost convinced that, like, I, I don't think it's a long-term program, but I think a short-term program with Swerve against MJF would probably be um, very interesting and fun to watch. Yeah, but we're just lining people up for an MJF at this point. I wouldn't want yeah. to burn Swerve like that. Yeah, yeah, I, and I agree with you on that one. That's why I'm like, it'd be fun, but it'd be a short-term, and I don't think it's like I don't know how much it would do either of them favors, but it's something we can build to. The finish with Nana's headband and him not actually taking the L upon that and having to be finished off by um, uh, Swerve's finisher, I thought was a good touch. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about something now that I felt stronger as the night went on, and I was super strong about the last match. AEW has a tendency to overbook. And what I mean by that is so many false finishes on top of false finish, and then the next match has three false finishes, and the next match has six false finishes. They seem to be overbooking their matches. What I mean by that is just where you think the guy's going to go over, you get all excited, you get brought down. You get all excited, you get brought down. They're just using that a little bit too much, in my opinion. And as the matches go on through the night, it got worse and worse and worse, in my opinion. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I do feel like that um, one positive, and I don't know how much this relates, but as I was thinking through it, you know, Swerve Strickland took his lumps. I mean, he he let other people go ahead of him. He took his losses almost in a string of just months and months. And it was kind of like, why are they doing this? 
And uh, now it's built into something where he actually got to showcase himself and get the win. And I felt like, you know, his willingness to sacrifice previously was rewarded by Tony Khan. I don't know. I don't know if I'm reading that too much into that, but it just seemed like, you know, he finally got his moment after being a team player. Yep. I agree. I agree. Can I, yep. Can I do that? All right. So next up, Ricky Starks and Wheeler Yuta. Uh, Moxley was back on the commentary for this one. Now, you know, I don't know how I feel about him there, but he, he has to do something, right? He, we're not paying him for nothing. And so they put him on commentary. I think uh, was JR with him as well during this one. Yes. I can't remember. Yep. But, sure was. Um, you know, uh, obviously Ricky Starks got over there. He pinned Wheeler Yuta. I wouldn't expect anybody to, uh, I wouldn't expect Yuta to beat Ricky Starks. That would be terrible for Starks. But, um, you know, how did you feel about the match, um, you know, overall, specifically with Mox on the commentary, but also, um, you know, Yuta versus Starks? So I thought the match was good. I thought it was a uh, slightly above average match. It wasn't a spectacular match. Certainly wasn't as good as the program of Brian Danielson. Um, but I think there are other things in line for Starks here. I think that what we're seeing is a quote-unquote tryout for the BCC. And I think that either they're going to add him as a player to the BCC or Drew brought up a point last night. Could we see them kick out Yuta in favor of Starks? That would be interesting as well. But I think just bolstering their numbers in general by adding another headcount, I think that Ricky is earning it by going through the quote-unquote gauntlet of the uh, BCC. Having Mox on color commentary was fun. Um, however, I didn't need AEW to keep taking the split screen and give me an image of Moxley just basically sitting there talking into his headset. I didn't see any value in that. We don't do that to uh, Taz. We don't do that to JR. We don't do that to Nigel McGuinness. So why do it to Moxley? I thought that was a little strange. Do it once, do it twice. They did it three or four times during this match, which I thought was a bit. Um, and then him swearing on occasion, which I, I think was pretty fun. Uh, obviously, he did that on purpose, and it was part of the angle. But I, I enjoyed the match. I thought this match was a B minus. It wasn't. It certainly wasn't as good as the matches with Danielson. It's not going to stick out in a month or two. I'm going to remember the Danielson matches with Starks more so than I'm going to remember the Utah match. So, B minus. Drew, thoughts on uh, Moxley screaming instructions to Utah while he's on the headset? Um. Oh man, like you know what? It's. I kind of looked over at Kevin at one point. We were talking about this where it's like, why does it sound like Moxley is really running uh, Wheeler Yuta down on the on commentary? Like, he's he's basically making Wheeler sound like, yeah, he's the jobber of the group. He's the one <laughs> that just gets beat he up did. while the rest of us, you know, have to, you know, do our thing. He's It's like, so it's like, he's like. Someone has to get pinned, I think is what his quote was. Yeah. Someone has Ooh. to get pinned. Yeah. You know, if you know your gaming terms, it's like he's the bullet sponge. And it's like he takes all the hits while the rest of us go and do the real work. And stuff. It, my grade on this one, it's like, no, it's like, I mean, I liked it and stuff, but I give this one a C plus just because I was like, I don't know what it is. But like, this is one of those matches I look back on. And it's like, it's forgettable to me. Like, I just was like, OK, I mean, this was no different than something I could have seen on Collision. So, yeah. all right. Yeah. Great, fine, sure. Yeah, this was an also an also wrestled match, if you get that reference. Yeah. No, I don't get it. Also finished. So I wasn't first, second, or third, but I also finished. Yeah. Also <laughs> finishing the race. Yeah. 
participation trophy. Exactly. Um, it was a it was a match. Ricky Starks. I, you know, I think that I'm looking. I'm trying to find that power bomb as I'm looking it up. He had a power bomb and somehow managed to land on his own head. Did you, you guys? Yes. Yeah. His legs. Uh, wasn't this a spot where his leg buckled or something like that, and he wound up squashing himself? I think, yeah, yeah, something. It was a blown. Yeah, it was a blown spot. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, the next one is the one. Honestly, like I said, walking into this one as the casual, had no idea who Zack Saber Jr. was. Man, I left you know, thinking, wow, what an amazing match between two guys who have technical ability, you know, beyond anybody I've seen right now, at least, you know, maybe in the past, maybe some guys could hang with them, but these guys and their ability and their ability to, to transition between different moves. Uh, I've always admired that from Danielson, but now I admire it from, from uh, Zach Sabre Jr., and you, somebody had to lose. It was kind of one of those things that it, we're getting. We so we believe at least that we're getting closer to the end of Brian Danielson's career, uh, and Danielson's fighting off of that not yet kind of mentality. Uh, I'll fight you, but and and you might beat me, but not yet kind of thing. Definitely a hard fought match. I'm sure Kevin loved it. It's definitely up Kevin's alley there. You know, as far as technical ability. And just you know, brute force there between the two guys, uh, and really walking away from the match, I, I give it an A in my opinion. I haven't graded any matches other than this one tonight, so I'm going to go ahead and give you my grade. I really, really walked away enjoying that one and thinking, you know, um, I, I'm I'm a sucker for cheap pops, but this one was definitely a match where I was like, wow, these guys really take their craft seriously, and uh, it was uh, a joy to watch. I'm gonna Drew, I'm gonna let you go first here. I'm gonna I wanna have the final word on this one. Oh, I was gonna say, like, for me, this was this was the A plus match of the night. This this was so different. It felt so different from what we've been getting. And you know, and it's especially like if you've if you've watched a lot of WWE, this is really different from anything you will see from WWE. It's so it, it was so unique in that sense that like the chain, you know, wrestling hold for hold, counter for counter. I also could be wrong on this one, but I really kind of feel like this is, if you were in America, if you're American wrestling, like this is really your first chance to see Zack Sabre Jr. really shine in the United States. Because, you know, I I don't recall him ever being a part of WWE and, you know, doing things with AEW all that much. And this really put him in the spotlight to show you how good of a technical wrestler he was. Big thing from this one, too, is if you saw the... um post i think it's i don't know if it was after the sh show or whatnot where they had a um sit down you know where daniel or brian danielson sat down with the camera and talked about this match and said this was the match i've always wanted to do in front of my home you know town in front of the people that you know know me and stuff but at the same time at the end of it, he said i don't feel like i won because i walked away from this match you know asking myself Am I really the, is like the best technical wrestler alive? Because I don't feel like I'm the best technical wrestler alive. And it's a, and he's really mentions like, I'm really bothered by the fact that Zack Sabre Jr. wouldn't shake my hand at the end. So I would be willing to bet we're going to run this one back again. And I'll be happy to see that. 
So I'll start off with the grade I gave this. This is an A. This was this was arguably one of the best two matches on the card. Um, Zach Saber Jr. has been around for a number of years. I came to become aware of him through New Japan. He's put on about twenty, maybe twenty-five pounds in the last two years. He he looked. He reminded me of like that the kid in high school that was just your average dork, but you didn't know that could completely destroy you. Like if you look at this guy, he just looks like a, a geek. He pops his collar. He's got the blonde spiky hair. He wears rolled up like pants with with loafers. But man, the kid can go. And this is your typical British catch as catch can hold counter hold back and forth. My only gripe with this match, and it it holds true to the very last maybe four or five minutes. It was hold for hold, but there wasn't a lot of pain involved. You never saw the hot comeback, so to speak, that you see in a typical wrestling match where the guy gets beat down, beat down, beat down, and he hulks up. You can't have that in this kind of match. Although, so you have, and just real quick, it's like, I was like, although I think you both, you and I, Winston Payne, with that one dragon screw leg, you know. Yes, where his toe stuck in the mat. Like, yes. yeah, holy cow, that looked like that hurt real. Yep. I enjoyed it for what it was, and I don't think it could be any better if you're going to have that kind of match. The only thing I can think of is if you go to that type of match, and this reminds me of Dragonoff and Walter at the time, just beating the living shit out of each other, and they were legit selling because they weren't selling. They were in pain. And I didn't see that last night from these two. And that was the only thing I'd like to see. I would like to see 45 seconds of cattle mutilation where there is serious pain involved and you could see it on the guy's faces. We just didn't get that in a nod to Nigel when they came down, he and he's looking, what did he say? The cows are going to come home. And Jared's like, what do you mean? He's like, I'll get to it. And cattle mutilation made an appearance, but it was only for about a second and a half. And for whatever reason, and I think it's because Daniel's arm is really hurt, he couldn't hold it. But if he held that and you have never seen that move, you would understand what I mean by a worked shoot because there's legitimate pain involved in that move. And Morgan, if you've never seen it, I don't know if now is the right time, but Google cattle mutilation, Brian Danielson, and take a look at it for a finishing move because it's fantastic. Yeah, make sure you put Brian Danielson's name in there. Cattle mutilation. Don't just, <laughs> right. don't yeah, just yeah. Google cattle mutilation. You're not right. going to like what you see. Yeah. So, yes, a match, one of the top matches on this card, and I'd like to see him run it back with a little bit more of a professional wrestling angle along with a catch-as-catch-can style. So I, I will it. say, Kevin, it's like another part of that interview he mentioned that, that I think might play into the to the next match they do was he mentioned in there, it's like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm the best technical wrestler. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. He said, but one other thing I know I am is I'm a better, I learned I'm a better striker than you, um, Zach Sabre Jr. It's like, and mentioning like, if I, it's like, maybe you can, maybe, maybe I am a better technical wrestler, maybe not but I also know I can knock your ass out. Yeah. And I wouldn't doubt that again, Zach Sabre Jr. Is not, uh, he's maybe 180 pounds if he's that, although he's tall. So again, I, I've, I've enjoyed uh, ZSJ's work for years and I'm happy to see him get exposure in the United States. So good match. Is it the move where he's kind of 
got him by the got his arms wrapped behind his back and then flips over forward. Yep, and pulls looks, on the guy's looks arms. It's kind of painful for both the guys. One for the yep. guy having to hold it, and the other one for his arms being backwards. I would assume that in to make that look the way it does is you both have to apply equal pressure to kind of balance each other in that move. Because if one's pulling more than the other, you're right. You can legit hurt somebody with it. So I, again, yeah, I think it's the guy that's, that's contributing to it. Doesn't allow the other guy to hold that, hold it to a certain right. point. Like you said, it would hurt. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm also looking at some of uh, the posts online about it. 68 strikes for Danielson, 41 strikes for, uh, ZSJ. This is according to Pro Wrestling Musings on Twitter on X. Uh, seven strike downs for Danielson, eight for ZSJ. I'm trying to see the biggest thing submission holds 158 seconds for ZSJ and 62 seconds for Danielson. And ZSJ, no finishers. Danielson had two in his in his win. Overall match time, 23 minutes. Yeah. I enjoyed all 23 minutes of it too. I'd like to see it again, which again, a little bit more professional wrestling thrown in. So do you feel like that when I'm looking at some of the highlights and stuff, you know, a lot of times there's matches where they work on a cer certain body part, as you mentioned in previous matches we talked about, do you feel like that that was a part of the lackingness of it? I mean, just moves just on top of moves and not really oh, seeming like your strategy. Yeah, no, towards to, uh, maybe a little bit halfway through, he started to focus on that right arm of Danielson. And right. he did that hole where he puts his, his hand on the mat and bends his elbow and it steps on the elbow. Man, I don't know how they pull that off, and, but <laughs> damn, it looks good every time somebody does it. And Brian Danielson's doing the same thing because he started focusing on um, Zach's leg. Yep. Yeah, the inside round kick. Yep. Yep. So. All right, next up is the Don Callis family. Versus Chris Jericho and the Golden Lovers. Um, oh, you know what I missed? You know what I missed? During the Zack Sabre, Brian Danderson match, we had a Cobra twist. And we get another Cobra Christ in this match. So go ahead, Morgan. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Jericho came down to his entrance and then the, the uh, Omega Osprey started off the match with a, a nice exchange there. Um, but overall, Sammy Guevara pinned Chris Jericho of all people to win for the Don Callis family. Um, any thoughts on this match overall? I didn't, I, I got one thing that stuck out to me and this is kind of hard. We mentioned this pre the week before is when you have all these matches with all these, this talent together back to back to back to back, it does kind of weigh on you as a, as a consumer of the show. You know, because you just got so many things going on, match after match after match. But I did like what I saw um, from um, Takeshna. Not not Takeshna from Ibushi. Ibushi? Yeah. yeah, I like I like some of the hard strikes that he had during the match when it was like three on one. I really like that combo there. Yeah, and that's uh, what he's yeah, known for is that Ibushi. stiffness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can almost hear boss music playing in the background. Um, he stands I think, up and just marches towards you, and you know all your attacks are going ineffective. You know it's like okay, here, here he comes. I think that having Sammy go over Jericho here helps Sammy that 
that boosts his stock, so to speak. And it makes sense from a storyline angle. We've already seen the Kota Ibushi, um, um, uh, Kenny Omega, and uh, um, uh, Kenoshi Takeshita and Will Ospreay. So we know that that is his own little unit, but now you can spin off the whole Sammy Guevara and Chris Jericho and continue that angle. So by giving uh, Guevara the win, I think he got back some of his shine, which I'm happy to see. Uh, this was the match where we saw the Cobra twist and then all three guys on the outside connected hands and pulled, including Don Callis, which I thought was rather funny. But, you know, I want to bring up a point that I, I brought up to Drew last night. I've been watching Kenny in these matches now. He, and again, maybe I'm reading into this, but I swear in his eyes, you can see, I don't know how much longer I can do this after some of these matches where he just gives 110%. And when that bell ends the match, you can just see in his face, I don't know how much more I have in me. I think we're seeing the decline or the slowdown of Kenny Omega in general, and maybe just giving him a um, attraction kind of scenario in the next year or so. Maybe it's a recovery year for him, but I really think the man is hurt deep down. And I think he's doing what he can right now, but I think it's either going to be the point where he gets hurt, where he can't continue to do what he's doing, or they give him a little bit of a rest. Because again, I swear in that man's eyes, I can see the fact that he's, He's barely getting through these matches and being able to stand upright. I was kind of seeing it. I see where you're getting at. It's like, I kind of felt like, too, it's like anytime he works with Kota Ibushi, it kind of like re-energizes him. Like he he genuinely enjoys the fact that he's got him here in the States and they're working you know, the Golden Lovers program for an American audience and having fun with this and the crowd's responding to it. Great. Hey, quick question. Did anybody else notice – um? I kind of noticed there was, you know, a thing between Will Ospreay and Sammy Guevara. Like, you know, Will's trying to be Will Ospreay, but, like, Sammy kept, like, tagging him in. And I wondered if they were, like, running some sort of angle where there's slight dissension there. Like, Will just doesn't feel like dealing with Sammy's crap. I know you brought that up last night, and it does appear to be that way until you saw Will Ospreay take the, um, was it the Judas effect? from yeah. Jericho to save Guevara. So that kind of plays into that angle. But I also think Will Ospreay was just a, a filler here. I think we almost wasted his presence on this, this bout. I don't think we got to see him shine in a six man. I think it was a bit wasted in my opinion. I would I, much rather have seen, seen him in a co-main event, so to speak against, I don't know who, but I just feel he was a bit wasted here. I can see where you're getting at with that, but I'm going to stick with the fact that it's like anytime during this match that Osprey and Omega were the legal, you know, two men in the ring magic still happened. Yeah. And let me ask you, do you think code is getting over? I don't, I don't think he's getting over. I really don't. I think he's, I think he's over, but like, I don't know if he's getting more over. I think he's get. I think when he's there, he's over, but he's over on the recognition of, you know, AEW's got a lot of those smart fans and they know who he is. Has he done anything to really get over though? I mean, he's had okay matches. Yeah. I mean, he's done some things, but like, I don't think he's utilized enough as to really, really get over with this audience. He just kind of, you know, he just kind of appears for like big, important things that Kenny Omega has got to do. It's like, I'm going to, you know, I'll bring Coda in with this and see what we can do with it. 
and stuff. But like Coda is, if you notice, like since they brought him in, he hasn't done anything actually on his own. I don't even know if the guys wrestled a right. full on singles match yet for AEW. Yep. yep. That's my point. Like we're bringing him in. He's over on his laurels, so to speak. But yeah. has he done anything to actually get over it? And no, I would have to say at this point, no. He's special attraction. Yep. Yep. You're right. Good point. Good point. So next up, FTR versus Aussie Open AEW tag team titles. This is one that was interesting for me because I I don't have a ton of feeling towards Aussie Open, honestly. I mean, I didn't think that FTR was going to lose the belts, and sure enough, they didn't lose the belts. Um, I, I just didn't get super interested in this match because... Again, just the the opponent, Aussie Open, just, I don't know, they're just not doing it for me. They're not believable uh, challengers for FTR. So, I don't know, I just kind of checked out. What are you guys? So, I'm going to start off with my best Ron Simmons impression. Damn! This was a good match. <laughs> this was this was tied for the, the best match of the night, in my opinion. Oh, I, man. Similar I, similar, I don't think much of Aussie Open, but when that bell rings, I have a whole different respect for them. They're nothing to look at. They're nothing to listen to, but man, can they go. And they gave FTR a hell of a match. Tell me Cash Wheeler isn't limping today and probably a little foggy because he got the shit kicked out of him last night. And that was just a just a, a grueling, beat you down, ride you hard, put you away wet kind of match. And that's what FTR does best. And these guys were their equals last night, in my opinion, to the point where shit, uh, what's his name? Mark Coleman, is that his name? Broke his wrist. I mean, they were given everything in that ring. So this is your first legit injury of last night. Um, about two-thirds of the way match through, you see him, his his left, rim, left wrist go limp, and he kind of babies it for the next three to five minutes. He broke his wrist. So uh, I thought it was an excellent match, and I thought at one point that um, uh, Aussie Open could go over. And I went into this thinking that if there was ever going to be a time at the end of the year, the FTR was going to drop the belts. It was going to be here. Uh, but since they didn't, now we're going to uh, the Kia Forum in L.A. against the Young Bucks. I think they'll drop them there. But good match. It's tied for the best match of the night. I give this an A without a doubt. I'm, I was going to give it a B plus, maybe an A minus. I mean, it, it, tag team wise, this is a fantastic match. I, I agree with what I said. Like, you know who? In that sense, it's like they they suffer from uh, Aussie Open suffers from that same thing the Hardys did back in the late '90s, where it's like they couldn't talk to save their lives, and they you know they just couldn't bring that charisma at the time. But boy, howdy, when you get those guys in the ring, great stuff happens. And FTR brought the absolute best out in them. It was fantastic match. I honestly say the the only thing I can complain about the match. Was at this point, it's like what eleven thirty, and fatigue is starting to kick into me, and I'm like, I'm really enjoying this, but I'm like, oh my god, how? I was like, we're gonna go to midnight, aren't we? <sighs> and I'm looking at Kevin, like, I just need you to start rolling in all the caffeine you can. Yeah, so actually, I think it's like I will say this, and every time they come up and reference, it's like every time Aussie opens entrance, ha- uh, does their and their theme music hits, it will be stuck in my head for some reason for the next 48 hours, and I don't know why. Yeah, I, I want to see more of them now, obviously, with Mark being hurt. 
we're probably going to push them to the back and we know that they can't speak per se. So we probably won't see them on camera and they'll kind of fade into the background for the time being. And then, you know, this business is cyclical. They'll be brought back to the front in, in uh, within the next six months to a year. But I enjoyed that match. I thought it was a classic tag team match. Um, I get why their match a year ago was so good uh, because their sequel was just as good, if not maybe exceeded it because more people saw it. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it didn't do it for me, but you okay, know what? I get it. I'm watching some of the video of it. I mean, yeah, they had some hard hits. Man, uh, Mark Davis just absolutely slammed Dax Harwood after a, a series of chops and then did a, um, um, not a swan tom, but basically fell on him on his back. I don't know what, I yes. can't think of the move, but man, it just looked pretty brutal because uh, yeah. he's a big dude. He is. So. Yep. You know, definitely a hard-fought match for sure. Um, you know, and and the do you feel like that these matches did did what they needed to do to be separate and to kind of stick out from the rest? I mean, you know, we're getting late into the show. It's always hard when you get later into the show. You're getting closer and closer to midnight, as you mentioned when we started the podcast. Do you feel like these late matches did what they needed to do to keep the crowd interested? Let me put this in perspective. At one point, I said something, and Drew looked over me and went, "Huh?" He was sleeping, so he, he <laughs> was, nodded off. He nodded off for a moment. Out there. It's like yeah. side effect of getting old. Yep, it's getting so, hard. I mean, you know, like I said, late night, staying up for Aussie Open. Um, you know, Kevin, I I uh, commend you, my friend. <laughs> you uh, you got to get you got to get uh, the big hurt and get some tea time. Welcome to tea time, Morgan. I got to get the um, <laughs> I got to get the. 200 milligrams of caffeine in me to keep going. <laughs> That's what I need. Um, all right. So we're down to really kind of the recap or the, at the end, the, well, the big we got the two out of three falls match. Yeah. So the big, the big show or the, the, the big event of the night, which is Christian cage versus Darby Allen. Funny thing is this is now the TNT championship in the main event where you again have the, champion of your program of your of your um federation of your of your of your company your champion of your company starting out the pay-per-view and then the tnt championship finishing it out uh the belt has kind of bounced around a ton it really and you guys know i love christian cage but i think that he has done an amazing job as heel with this belt and, you know, again, father of the year, Christian Cage. And I love what he's doing. I love the match. I love the pulling of the, the mat back into the bare wood. And then, obviously, at the end, I, I won't spoil it yet, even though you guys already did. But um, I thought it was a good match overall. Nick Wayne coming out, Nick Wayne's mom, and and the, the surprise there as well. Um just well done from start to finish, even without adding in the surprise entrance at the very end. Um, if you take away Adam Copeland, this was still to me of an entertaining match that had a great story to it that, you know, did what it needed to do at the very end and really highlighted again, not even the, the championship belt. So I let me ask you both a question. If this wasn't setting up the debut of Sexton Hardcastle, 
would this match have gone on last? Morgan? Um, I I mean, honestly, I, I think it could have still had been last. Like I said, even without Adam Copeland involved, it was a huge match as far as like storytelling between Allen and Nick Wayne and Christian Cage um, and the TNT championship. I mean, with the fact that you don't really have someone set up for MJF right now and the fact that Adam uh, Cole is is injured, maybe, maybe not, um, you know, the next up is the TNT belt. And I feel like they did it. They did. They did it well. I, I so. Drew, answer that question for me. Would you have put this match on last if it wasn't introdu- introduced Adam Copeland? No, but it doesn't take anything away from this match. I would have swapped that with where on the card with where um, Danielson and Zack Sabre Jr. was and had them go on last. If we didn't have Edge coming out there, it's like I, those two you swap. You know, there are spots on the card. But I, yeah, I don't know. Fantastic. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I think I would have put FDR on last, but listen, I didn't expect much from this match and this match didn't give me much. It was just a glorified stuntman show, which is typically Darby Allen. We told a story. We turned Nick Wayne heel. We introduced Adam Copeland, yada, yada, yada. Um, the match was forgettable. I mean, really other than the stupid spots that Darby Allen seems to put himself in and listen, if the dudes hurt, he deserves it at this point. If you tell somebody <laughs> to throw me into a da- damn stairs from the ring apron, how can you not get hurt? You deserve it, dude. We all know he's going off to climb Everest in October of next year. He has to climb four mountains before he gets there. And I believe he starts in November in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a good way to write him off for the time being. Bring Nick Wayne in. It's only a matter of weeks until we see Christian say, call me dad. Um, I think his mom is going to somehow be worked into this angle, which I also didn't appreciate. The mom was out there in the beginning for the for the um, the uh, was it the the what match was she at earlier in the night the Nick Wayne Luchasaurus match right yeah Nick Wayne and then she was gone she was gone the entire night and then they put her in for the last match so like she how could we not see that she wasn't there all damn night they dressed her in white she's got blonde hair no one in the front row has a white shirt on because they're all professional wrestling fans they're all wearing black t shirts this match (laughs) was terrible and in my opinion gave me a bad taste in my mouth to finish this pay-per-view off. I don't need to see Darby Allen get uh, uh, paralyzed in a ring. I just don't, I don't, I don't need it. He is a mediocre wrestler and he makes his name off of taking sick bumps. that makes it uncomfortable to watch. And even at the point where I believe the call was for Christian cage to throw him from inside the ring out. And Christian realized, man, if I do this, the kid's really going to get hurt. And he at least brought him outside onto the apron, which cut off the height and another foot and a half of the distance. And he still took a sick bump on the stairs. So again, um, other than to get Edge into the show or Adam Copeland, um, I didn't think much of this match at all. Pulling the ring mats back, again, it's just a glorified stuntman. What I really, really didn't like is the, the roughly 45 second to 60 second intro of him driving the GTO through Seattle. And then him coming down, having the pyro hit, him hitting all his moves, and then running into the ring. So what did all those guys in the ring do for a minute and a half while the lights were out and just stood in front of the crowd and watched Edge do his intro? Poorly planned, in my opinion. Very poorly planned. And because of that, I'm going to give this entire show a B because that last match ruined the whole night for me. 
Oh Ow. god, this is where I'm going to ruin it for him because I'm coming in and saying this that match for me at the end was a minus. It's like I came. It's like I expected this to be violent, and it was just that. I think Christian Cage is doing the absolute best work of his career right now, and I and I'm basing this on what he's done in WWE, what he's done in Impact. We are getting top tier Christian Cage right now, and. It's like, you know, for a guy that was retired for a couple of years here by WWE, now we've got him out there not only putting on good matches, but taking, you know, he took his fair share of bumps too. Kudos to him jumping off the thing and like splashing, you know, Darby Allen while he was on a stretcher. Stretcher, was, yeah, that was a good spot. Yeah, that was fun. It's like, I, I enjoyed this. I was completely coherent through this match. It's like I was back awake and, you know, I was waiting. And the funny thing is I was waiting for Darby to do something incredibly stupid. And until he goes to do that one spot with the steps, it's like Darby really wasn't bumping as hard as he normally does. But I enjoyed this. I really did. Yeah. And the last I saw, he wound up going to the hospital and they had uh, not given a full diagnosis, but he apparently hurt his arm. Um, in fact, I think at the media scrum, he was in a sling and then they took him to the hospital after that. So again, Watch if the dude gets on the steps, no, yeah, it's like, no if, shit if the dude hurt. gets hurt, there's no surprise here. And again, how can Tony Khan let him do this? I mean, literally does Tony Khan want the quote unquote blood on his hands? If the kid really does get paralyzed in the ring from doing just a stupid ass spot, you know, if he wants to do a stuntman shit for TMZ, go ahead and do it. I don't want to see somebody get permanently injured in the ring. It's just stupid. I agree, but I also think on that one where you said about why is Tony Khan let him do it? It's like because Tony Khan thinks the wrestler knows better. And realistically, like I think Mark Henry and Bully Ray on Busted Open talked about that where they said, like, sometimes you need to save us from ourselves because if you leave it up to us, we're gonna do some of the dumbest things imaginable in that ring to get a reaction yep. out of that crowd. You know, let me ask you. Being Christian Cage, if Darby, they're going over the match in the back and Darby says, I want to do a spot where I'm inside the ring. I want you to lift me up and powerbomb me or chokeslam me, whatever the hell he did, over the top rope, across the apron and onto the steel stairs. And you do that as a performer and he legitimately gets hurt. How do you have that hang on your head for the rest of your life? Yeah, valid point. Yeah, it's, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's bad, bad for business in my opinion. So again, I thought overall the pay-per-view was really good to that very last match. And because of the last match, I'm giving the entire night a B. And that's too bad because there was a lot of people that broke their asses to make an excellent show. And it just shit the bed in the last match, in my opinion. I mean, he lost lost the first fall due to his turtleneck. I mean, come on. That was classic. That was classic. Good good thing. (laughs) Heck, even he wins the he wins the second fall by like that whole thing where he throws him into the steps and you know we thought I mean, he did a frog splash off the top down. rope. He did a frog splash off the top rope outside the ring onto a stretcher. Thought mm. that was pretty good. Yes. I mean, and man, the bump on the hard part of the stairs. Uh, I'm surprised Darby didn't mess up his hip as well. I mean, he definitely messed up his right arm. Um, and he was nursing it the rest of the match, but his hip took a pretty hard shot off the sharp part of the, uh, the edge of the stair as well. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen him. Uh, I mean, at least in this, in AEW and WWE, I haven't seen a spot like that head <laughs> down as well. Kept the argument because you shouldn't. 
Yeah, we shouldn't see that. You know, it's interesting too. Uh, Sting came out. Did we even remember that Sting came out? What part, no, because other than they, the association, right? Other than the association that he has with Darby, and then Nick Wayne turning. Does anybody really care at this point? The kid's only six months in, if that, four months in. And I think that what they could do with that is, like I said, it's only a matter of time till uh, Christian says, "Call me dad," and they work that <laughs> whole angle. So now you've got Nick Wayne, you've got Christian Cage, you've got. Uh, Luchasaurus as a faction, and that will continue to grow, I'm sure. For that matter, um, you, you want to apply logic to a logical sport, you could argue that. It's like, you know, when Christian shoved him into the um, steps and he's sitting there and on the, you know, they're putting him on the stretcher and stuff. Okay, where was Sting here? Like, dude, you were backstage. Like, your man's being strapped to a stretcher. Do something. Yep, good point. Didn't even consider that. Good point. Um, All right, here, I'm here's the... Um... Go ahead. Here's a, a a fun question to ask you to wrap it up, fellas, if you don't mind. Um, sure. So, kind of kind of off of the the actual pay per view, but of 2023, here are the signings for AEW so far this year. Which one? Maybe give me your top two. Okay, of this list, you ready? So we've got Adam Copeland. Most recently, and then you've got Nick Wayne, Ozzy Open, Commander, and Roderick Strong, Stu Grayson, and Sky Blue, Jay White, and Nigel McGinnis, and Taya Valkyrie, and Mark Briscoe. Those are the signings of 2023. Top two for you guys. I, I think for me, y'all are probably going to laugh at me here, but. Uh, we haven't seen Adam Copeland yet. I think it's going to be great. I think it's a great signing because you instantly forget the one that they just fired, and he's much better, honestly. I think uh, of a of a top tier A lister than CM Punk ever was. So I'm going Adam Copeland. Um, after that, I think it's probably easy to say Jay White, but. I wouldn't put it past Nigel McGinnis or Sky Blue to be my number two, 2A, two 2B, two and Jay White 2C. I like those as well. I know I'm terrible. I am always always do this with my other podcasts. Is I, I tell you to pick two, and I pick four. But uh, you guys can do the same. So there's no real rule. But uh, of those for 2023, what's your top? For me, Adam Copeland Edge is going to be the top just for notoriety. But under that, it's like, dude, Jay White was a great get. And if you had to put a third in there, it's like Aussie Open. It's like bringing Aussie Open in this year has been be extremely beneficial for the company. They were they were doing all in the case of Jay White and Aussie Open. They were all doing great things in New Japan wrestling. And now they get to bring that stateside. And... I'm thankful now we're finally really getting to see how good Jay White can actually be now. So I guess I want to preface it with I'd have to strike out two names, Nigel McGuinness, because he's not a wrestler, even though I'd like to see him wrestle again. And I don't think you can count Adam Copeland as a active roster because he's only made an appearance. He hasn't actually done anything yet. So to answer your question, Jay White would be my number one. Uh, my number two could be split between Sky Blue and Mark Briscoe, and that's a shame because if it was Mark and Jay, they would have been my number one, number two. But unfortunately, Jay passed away earlier this year, and Mark has kind of fallen into obscurity because he's he's injured. But 
it was a it was a package deal. You got the two of them together, and I'm not sure how Mark's going to do going forward. So to answer your question, it's Jay White and Sky Blue, in my opinion. I appreciate it, fellas. And uh, for those of you listening and being a part of the podcast, thank you so much. Don't forget, we have over on Spotify a question and answer where you can tell us what you thought about the show, what you like, what you dislike, what you want to see more of, what you want to see less of. We would love to get your thoughts, emotions, and uh, comments over there. So make sure you check that out as well. Thank you for being a part of the podcast tonight. On behalf of myself, Morgan the Casual, Kevin the Oracle, and Drew the Authority, we appreciate you. This is always and still a wrestling podcast. CJ Perry, hit me up. I'll flex you.